0: There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk Good morning, and
1: welcome to the Go! Radio Business Show with Sir Tom Hunter and Lord Willie Hockey. I'm Donald Martin, editor of the Herald and Herald on Sunday, and your host as we discuss the latest headlines and share brilliant and free advice from the boardroom. We're also joined this morning by Andrew Morrison, Managing Director of the Clydeside Distillery. Don't forget, if you ever miss an episode, simply search for the Go! Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey on your favourite podcast channel. And if you have a question for Tom and Willie, please email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk.
2: The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey.
1: Gentlemen, no matter how hard we try, we just can't seem to escape talking about the current energy crisis and rising bills. This week, the boss of Glasgow-based Scottish Power, Keith Anderson, said the impending crisis is beyond
3: what I can deal with. Are the governments in Westminster and Holyrood doing enough? I don't know how much more they can do, but um, it was interesting watching the Chief Executive of Scottish Power saying what you said in front of the Select Committee. I'd like to ask him a question. Why is it that the people who need the help the most, the people who have pay meters, pay more? Why is that? Surely that must be down to the energy companies. Why are they charging them more? I don't understand that, because you're getting paid instantaneous from them. I would have thought that their bill should be less. So are we saying that because they've got a different meter they can take a pay card, that they have to pay more? I think it's outrageous. No, it did sound very philanthropic that he was asking for the the government to help. And I think they'll have to help. They will have to help. They'll have to find a formula in the next few weeks because people will certainly need help. But, you know, I think the energy companies could be in there with solutions. And one thing I would say, and I would say it directly to Keith Anderson... You come on very concerned about the people at the bottom, which I totally agree with. So why don't you just pledge that you will not cut anybody's utilities off during the next two years? Why could you not pledge that and give them a bit of comfort?
1: Great point. Tom? Great.
3: So, Keith, if you're listening this morning,
4: come on to the Go Radio Business Show. Yep. You'll get a warm cup of coffee and a right grilling here, maybe more than the Common Select Committee. I know Keith, and Keith knows his stuff about um, energy. So I think we have got an energy crisis, absolutely. What are we are doing about it, or who can do something about it? Well, there are really only two bodies that can do something about it. One is the government, and two is the energy companies themselves. I think it's a very good point, Willie, made. I was reading about it in, in the Herald, actually, and um, Keith was asking that the energy cap be taken off and that those who couldn't afford it were given £1,000 off and allowed 10 years to pay it up. But I think it's a good point. Why are prepaid meter cards more expensive? You know, the people with the broadest shoulders should carry the most burden. And it always falls on the poor souls who can't afford it. It'd pay the most. It's ridiculous. So that's a good question. Keith was also saying that in the past week alone, Scottish powers had 8,000 phone calls with people trying to say, what can we do to help me pay my bill? He did also talk about a social tariff. I didn't quite get all the details of that, but it sounds good. A social tariff, maybe the government chips in, maybe the energy companies chip in, but it would be great to hear from Keith. He knows his stuff and he'd be welcome on the show anytime.
3: Yeah, and I think that, you know, what Keith had to say will be relevant and it will get more relevant over the weeks to come. The one thing that he was right about was that he was trying to frighten the life out of the politicians and he was right to do that because the energy crisis is something that people here have never seen, never seen, and the hardship that's got, not just in people really who are really struggling I think, you know, middle-income families now because it's not just our energy, it's food, it's everything, it's fuel. You know, I, I think that the we have the perfect storm here and obviously energy is something that we obviously depend on and I think that he was right to do what he'd done but I think that the energy companies need to do more than come up and say, oh, here's how you can manage to get us paid, right? I think the energy companies should certainly do their bit.
1: Well, the stats are quite frightening. I think it was the boss of the Scottish gas owner, Centrica, which is the UK's biggest supplier. They've seen a rise of 125,000 households in debt. Already 750,000 people owe the money and that number will climb because all the forecasts are that autumn is when we face the real crisis. So what can we do for people who can't actually afford to pay? Yeah, well, I think The
4: first thing, as I say, there's only two bodies can really help. So I think I really like Willie's point. The energy companies have got to say no bona fide person should be cut off. You know, now it's very easy to sit here and say, right, we're going to work out who's in real distress and who's at it. I would say they shouldn't be cut off. That's the starting point. And that's the companies can do that. They could do that tomorrow, Willie. And then the second thing I probably differ from Willie here. I probably think the energy crisis is transitory. I don't think these prices will stay at these levels for more than 12 to 18 months. And therefore, we need to help people through this. And therefore, maybe saying, OK, a £1,000, pay it up over 10 years, you know, I think that sounds a decent solution to me.
3: Willie? No, to be clear, I'm also saying that this is a short-term problem, but short-term could be two to three years. It's not going to last forever. So if you had 10 years to pay up, I think you could go over it. But I think one thing that everyone should take on board, all these guys yesterday says that the climate at the moment, the financial crisis at the moment, and they used the term fuel poverty. All of the price increases are just putting people into poverty. Right, fuel's just one part of it, and what they're doing there is is try to put a uh, you know put a shine a light on what they're doing to see if they can find a solution for their bit. The big big problem we've got here is, we said when, in the show in the past, if one percent of an increase in your energy costs put ten thousand people below the line in the poverty line, what's happening at the moment when it's running at thirty four percent in some cases even higher? So. Like Tom, I'm saying this could be a two or three year blip, but all the other things added to that at the moment, right? You know, with petrol, uh, with with diesel, with food. Oh, I think we mentioned that a couple of weeks ago. All the German food retailers this week have got together to make an announcement that all food by the 1st of May will increase by 20 to 50%. This is catastrophic. This is unbelievable. Uh, Somebody said to me yesterday, I I bought a bag of coffee. It was £16. I went to get it Monday. It was £24. Right? That's just one example. Right? The same bag of coffee. So people are noticing. And again, people will be sitting in their houses at the end of the month and they'll be looking at statements for the bank saying, you know what? that will have to go, that's a luxury, we're not doing that, we're not doing that, we're not doing that. That's what people are going to be doing all over the country. And I'm talking about people who've maybe got a household income of between forty and £50,000 a year.
1: Well, one person who won't have to worry about what's in their bank account is the uh, outgoing boss of the Scottish National Investment Bank. Greatly exclusive in the Herald, but uh, she quits for personal reasons, left with immediate effect and uh, was given... Her six months' notice, so we've got one hundred and seventeen thousand. Is that good use of public money, Tom? Well,
4: the fact is, I don't know her con- her contract and her contractual obligations, but I wouldn't think Kate Forbes would get it wrong. I think if if um, you've got to trust these people that they're getting it right here, therefore if that's what she was contractually due, even if she left, if that, if that was in her contract, that's what you need to pay. I don't think Kate Forbes would be shelling out the money unless she had to. Well,
1: most people who leave for personal reasons immediately don't get that kind of pay off. It's normally a fair... It,
4: it depends what it says in their contract.
1: Well, OK, right, <laughs> Willie. He? <laughs>
3: no, here's exactly what happened, OK. After all the glossy tributes, she said, they said, no, personal reasons, blah, blah, blah. The bottom line is the lady wanted to quit and she handed in her notice. So in her contract, she obviously had six months working notice and they says, thanks very much. You're not working it. Right, here's your money. That's exactly what happened. If if it's not that, then there should be a Stuart's inquiry. Right, that's the only thing that could have happened here. Which push happens all the
4: time in yes, business, yes. Um, Donald? So
3: yeah, it's not unusual. Yeah. No, oh. no, 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 no. This does not happen all the time in business. Anyone comes into my place and Sorry. hands in their notice, they're leaving. Sorry, it never happens in Willie's business. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't yeah. happen in or most. Or it or no, it doesn't. It doesn't happen in most businesses. What, what, what has caused the confusion <laughs> I'm here? I'm just too
4: soft. Yeah, yeah. I'm no, writing no, this no. Down, so, what, what,
3: no, we have to be honest here. What, what? um is causing the confusion here is all the nice words around (laughs) her departure. That's not what happened, okay? So the government said this, she said that, and blah, blah, blah. Obviously, it'll be written in a contract. They can't say anything bad about whatever. But that's exactly what happened here. The lady was entitled to hand in her notice and say she was going to work six months. And he says, thanks very much. Clear your desk. Here's your check.
1: And the secrecy (laughs) around it didn't help. No, again.
3: Yeah,
1: but moving on, the IMF has warned that the UK will have the slowest... Growth of all the G seven nations in two thousand and twenty three, kind of undermining Boris's claim that we had the biggest bounce in the group. How concerned should we be, Willie?
3: Very, very. Because what we've done is, in a matter of months, right, we have went from as Boris and the Tories would tell you, quite rightly, that we were the largest performing unit in in the EU or the, you know part of the EU, right. Now we're the worst, right. So you have to see yourself. How has that happened? They, they, they might point the finger at Ukraine and say, look at Ukraine. Ukraine's went from plus two to minus 35, right? So, and, and Europe is going to catch the cold from that. I'm saying that this is what we've been saying in this programme for months. Months. All the figures and the stats that people have been... And, and the next one for me, and I've said that, is, is the employment numbers. And housing, that's going to be the next one, right? So all of these bubbles that people have been, you know... Land will still be valuable. I think Tom's trying to sell some, right? You know? <laughs> but but deals to, sell deals to well, be like. had very yeah, shortly, yeah, <laughs> but, but but this we have been we have been predicting this, right? We're not trying to make ourselves as smart like but what we're really saying is there's been a lot of people asleep at the wheel. Talk.
4: Yeah. Um Boris's words as usual. <laughs> <laughs> mean nothing. As usual. Oh my God. So yes, if you took the narrow definition of of the time that Boris was saying it, we did grow the most, but we fell the most. So, you know, as usual, Boris is telling half a lie. I, I suppose I suppose half a lie would be quite good these days from Boris. That's you? honesty from him. But anyway, we're going to have the slowest growth and, more importantly, the highest inflation of any G7 nation. That That is worrying. And we've also got, as um, businesses... Coming up next April. So a year from now, the corporation tax is going to go up from 19 to 25%. But let's not all get doom and gloom this morning. I don't, I don't want us all heading for the duvet and never coming out. Where does change, there's opportunity, and great entrepreneurs and business people find a way around this and there's opportunities out there. And you know, we are right to look at it and say, right, okay, difficult times ahead. But in difficult times, great businesses are built and great businesses can prosper as well.
1: So, Willie, how do we overcome those challenges? If you're a business,
3: what should you be looking at? My big fear in all of this is, is the, the people who have got in charge, right? There's, there doesn't seem to the MD would <laughs> endow... Well, MD's
4: charge,
3: Willie? Well, it doesn't look like that. We're, we're, we're actually going from day to day, from crisis to crisis. And when you know, when people... Like we're sitting here, like other people, maybe people are sitting saying, this is coming, this is coming. Nobody cares until it happens. And then, so for me, you know, ask, what am I doing? I hope that I've been trying to be ahead of the game in the last few months and not in the last few days. And, you know, and really looking at our business, what we're doing, how we're getting people back into work, right? I'm looking at my customers. I'm seeing how my customers are doing, how my customers are being affected. So all of this, we'll have to have, you know, the outlook that is global, obviously, because of where we are throughout the world and feeding all the data into the centre and then making, you know, hopefully we think educated choices. But at the moment, you know, things are things are tough.
1: Well, it's not just businesses that are hit. Charities are too. But this weekend, or today, in fact, a lot of charities are going to benefit from the Kilt Walk, Tom. Yeah, so um, we can
4: exclusively reveal this morning that we're not actually here. <laughs> 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 because as this goes out, Willie and I will be on the Kilt Walk, starting off from Glasgow Green. And we'll be joined by... Over 11,000 wow. souls walking, which is a record for us, actually. The Kiltwalkers Walkers are going to raise over 2 million, and the Hunter Foundation is going to top it up by over a million. So it's fantastic. Um, there'll be over 700 different Scottish charities helped by the Glasgow alone. Glasgow is by far the biggest Kiltwalk. walk. We've got another three um, to come in Edinburgh, in Aberdeen, and in St Andrews, Dundee. Um, but Glasgow... Yep. The generosity of the Glasgow people, as Willie knows, is just amazing. So it's something we're we're really proud of, and it does bring you back to us. You know, sometimes I can live in a bubble and I go to London and the restaurants are busy and people are doing deals and it's and you come home and I always ask um, people who you who you walking for today, and I must tell you some of the stories are are heartbreaking. If we can help that a wee bit, then that's what we're here to do.
3: Willie? Yeah, I think it's fantastic and I think you know, Tom actually proves that what people say about the West of Scotland and particularly Glasgow that the generosity is is unbounding. And I, and I think that what we've got here is the Kilt Walks the best demonstration that we've got of the people of Glasgow. They're caring about hundreds, about thousands of good causes. And out walking, uh, we've been delighted to be involved in it for many many years. As I say, I'll be walking there on 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 Sunday, and I'm looking forward to. Meeting most of the 11,000 in the way. He'll be walking by me, I might add. I, I,
1: I, are you surprised by the phenomenal success of Kiltwalk? When you took over what, six years ago?
4: Yeah. Um on, on Sunday, it'll be six years to the day that we did our our first Kiltwalk in charge, starting off from Hamden Park. Um, but once Willie and I helped them to sell Hamden Park and the SFA to buy it. We've never been invited back. But anyway, that's a different story. <laughs> can you leave for that? <laughs> Is there
1: a cup final you'll be attending,
3: Willie? <laughs> well, Donald, I can I can exquisitely <laughs> tell the, 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 the listeners here that 10 minutes ago, Donald was asking me about any tickets for the Rangers, and I'll he's getting no, no chance now. <laughs> no chance. Oh dear, no right? chance. You plotted <laughs> yeah. your coffee booth. Yeah, dear, right sorry. in front what of the telly, Donald. Donald. Take
4: that back. But, but just, just, just being serious for... Moment when we took it over, it was it was in a bad way. But the idea came to us pretty quickly that for hundreds and thousands of Scottish charities, actually raising money costs money. So we decided to make the Kilt Walk the lowest cost platform for any and every Scottish charity to raise money for what they believe in, not what I believe in. And it, it took a long time to say, but so we're walking for your charity Tom? No. Walk for what you believe in, and we'll give you fifty percent. And Arnold Clark, you get a chance. You're gonna draw. So on Sunday, you're gonna draw. Just by registering for the cow walk to win a brand new car. I think Arnold Clark's putting up three brand new cars. Wow. I don't yeah. think there's any event like this in the world, Willie. No, I no, honestly, don't. And as I walk, run about with my rolling sausage, I'll I'll, I'll buy Willie one as well. First thing <laughs> to get him going, and. The, the stories are amazing. There's a brilliant atmosphere. And if people are willing to get up a wee bit of tartan on and work for something they care about, that's good enough for me.
1: Brilliant. Apart from all the, the tales of helping charity, there's some entertaining tales, I'm sure, in the six years. Hey, Willie?
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tom reminded me about one this morning, which obviously you want me to tell, Um so when me and Tom were standing at the hamburger stall last year at the start of the Kilt Walk, as we always do, <laughs> a young this is 8:30 in the morning, a young man came up and said to Tom, "Tom, any chance you a selfie?" And he says yes, and uh, Tom said to the young man, "And and who are you walking for today?" He said, uh, "Gamblers Anonymous." And I says, I bet you're not. <laughs> oh,
0: <dear. laughs> oh, oh
3: dear! Well, they will get cancelled. Yeah, but the, the young man took it in in, in good <laughs> good humour and says, "You're right, Willie. I'm going to take a detour so I don't go past those three casinos in the way to the tall ship." <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, hopefully today will go really well and lots of money will be thanks, raised. Donald, thanks, Donald. Brilliant. Coming up after the break, we'll be talking to Andrew Morrison, managing director of the Clydeside Side Distillery. Don't forget, if you want to join the boardroom, you can put your questions to Tom and Willie by emailing gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk.
2: The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions. Helping your business digitise its documents. Go Radio.
0: There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitisation, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk The Go Radio
2: Business Show with Hunter and Hockey.
1: Welcome back. And in the latest of our brilliant series on Great Scots, we tell the story of Sir Ian Wood.
5: Sir Ian Clark Wood was born in Aberdeen on the 21st of July 1942. He was educated at Robert Gordon's College and at the University of Aberdeen, where he graduated with a first-class honours degree in psychology in 1964. Although determined to become a doctor, he decided to join the family fishing company instead, to help his father who suffered from poor health. John Wooden's son had roots dating back to the 1890s, and although Ian's move was intended only to be temporary, he soon found that he enjoyed his new role. I discovered that I could make things happen, he said, that I could change things. Within five years, Ian's position in the company was to change as he became chief executive. And with the discovery of North Sea Oil in 1969, he began to diversify the business. Aberdeen became the operational and supply base for the UK hydrocarbon industry. And the oil boom in the 1970s meant Ian's company was in the right place at the right time to take advantage. He developed engineering facilities with a skilled staff, able to service and maintain offshore oil platforms. And soon his gamble paid off when the company began to win offshore contracts. In 1982, Ian decided to split John Wood & Son into two distinct companies. JW Holdings became the largest fishing company in Scotland, and the John Wood Group would focus on engineering, oil field logistics and supplies, and drilling services. By the end of that year, the John Wood Group announced a turnover of £59 million. The business continued to grow during the 1980s, and by the 1990s the John Wood Group had expanded its oil and gas activities internationally. By 2000, its annual revenues exceeded $1 billion for the first time, and two years later the Group was floated on the London Stock Exchange. By the time Sir Ian stepped down as chairman more than 40 years after giving up on his dream of becoming a doctor, the Wood Group had a presence in 50 different countries and over 60,000 employees. As of 2022, his net worth is estimated to be over £1.7 billion, making him one of Scotland's richest people. He still lives in Aberdeen, and although he remains chairman of JW Holdings, he devotes much of his energy to the Wood Foundation, a philanthropic organisation whose work includes developing young people across Scotland.
1: A fantastic individual you both know well. Yeah, um, Ian's a
4: good pal of mine, and um, it's a fantastic um, story to build an uh, oil and gas global business from Aberdeen. Is It, it reminds me of of the stories of people from the old days, Willie, really, you know, this pioneering spirit of saying Scots went out in the world and punched above their weight. But Ian and his family are signatories of the Giving Pledge, along with Anne Glogue and myself and Marine. Um So Scots are punching above their weight again in the philanthropic states. So I'm delighted to hear about Ian Wood on this and more power to his elbow.
3: Yeah, it was a fantastic story and uh, I had the pleasure of serving with Ian in, in, the, in the Wood Commission for, for a number of years. But uh, this is a perfect example of Scots being nimble and fast on their feet. You know, there's a business he's inherited with his dad. Fishing, you know, big, big business was the largest in Scotland. But the minute that an opportunity came available in the North Sea, he pounced on it. And this is what Scots do, this is what, you know, we've had a line of people on this for weeks and weeks now and this is another a great example, but the business has flourished and grown and grown and grown and and I believe now that, you know, Ian's sons are entrepreneurial, they're in different sectors but again they're ploughing stuff back into the economy, they're employing people which is absolutely fantastic, but um, it's absolutely wonderful and uh, no one deserves more to be on the Great Scots than Serene Woods.
1: We're now joined by Andrew Morrison, Managing Director of the Clydeside Distillery and Director of Independent Bottlers, A.D. Rattray. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Thank you very much. Well, we're delighted to have you here. And of course, whisky is one of Scotland's biggest success stories. So tell us about your role within it and how you got involved.
6: So I I didn't really join the family business or the whiskey industry for a while. After university, I I had a degree in business and finance. And straight after university, I joined a bank with a view to perhaps investment banking. And I quickly discovered that I wasn't really the path that I was interested in at all.
4: What was wrong, Andrew? (laughs) Investment (laughs) banking? Yeah, it's... (laughs) Uh,
1: there's a role available. We were talking <laughs> about that earlier.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, you can get a job, and if you don't like it, they pay you anyway. Oh, <laughs> <it>. oh, <yeah. laughs>
1: uh,
6: and so I was very fortunate to get an opportunity. There was a US company called William sonoma running a graduate training program, and I applied for that, and I was successful and uh, quickly packed my bags and moved out to San Francisco for this opportunity, which was meant to be a one-year uh, rotation through different departments in their company, uh, started on the sales floor, then inventory management, and then different managerial level uh, experiences. And then at the end of your year, uh, if you performed uh, to a standard, uh, several people were offered positions, and I was offered one in the e-commerce division. Which uh, have been
4: fascinating.
6: It, it was a fascinating time to be there because being in San Francisco, Silicon Valley, the tech boom, and it was just after the initial crash, uh, you know, where yep. money was being thrown at these companies and said, okay, this, this time around, it's going to be much more sustainable. It's going to be better thought through. And it was really interesting within Williams-Sonoma because they had a catalog division and they had a store division. And that was the, the, the two main channels. And e-commerce, they weren't really sure how to place it within the business. Right. And so it felt like a startup By itself, we were in a separate building, they had a small team and very quickly it started to gather momentum. They doubled their team within the first year, tripled it the second year. And then what started happening was the catalogue division wanted to incorporate them, but Uh the stores wanted to incorporate them. And uh, a couple of years in the e-commerce team and uh, there was quite a lot of... Who won? Uh, I think the stores, yeah, the stores. So the the e-commerce team went to the corporate office.
4: Do you think that was the right decision?
6: I I think what was interesting is it lost its nimbleness perhaps uh, because they had a very inspirational leader at the time and it felt like its own company within a big company. Right. Uh, And it was exciting for me to be there at the time while this was happening.
1: It was a wonderful opportunity for you and exciting times. What brought you
6: back? Uh, well, so I only moved back relatively recently. I know. Uh, Yeah, so it was the best part of 20 years over there. Wow. Uh, so, uh, you know, when, you, when you've when spent anything longer than a couple of years in California, it becomes quite hard to, to move back. Uh, uh, I had problems renewing my work visa uh, All right. for Williams-Sonoma. Uh, so I was on a, a three-year visa, When it was reapplied for it was actually rejected uh, because the argument was that the state department there was a lack of us people employed in that area really uh um so was was this during president trump's reign no 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 no, this was uh before that so so the what ended up happening was I, i did get another visa but i had to be in a different department with the company and it was Crazily enough, I ended up in textiles. Oh, goodness. And I quickly yeah. learned that if you're not passionate about the product you're working with, it's quite hard it's to, to stay motivated. And uh, But that was a good learning experience for me because I saw people that I worked with that were passionate and I saw the, the way they rose through the company because they really loved what they were dealing with each day. Right, okay. Um, so that's when I decided that... Uh, my dad spoke to me about the family business, whiskey, and uh, I wasn't ready to come back to Scotland and I wasn't ready to work for the family business without really having developed more skills. Right. So I went to work for our US importer uh, who imported our whiskey, but as a sales rep for them in Northern California. Ah, right. So how did that work out? Yeah, I mean, it, it was fascinating. I remember my fir- my very first day... Uh, I was visiting, uh, I met the the Oakland sales rep, and we visited a liquor store in Oakland. Right. And it was like something from a movie, you know, the the, the bars the behind bar. the counters, and I'm like, wow, this well, we is... Well, he's got a shop like that. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> were, you, were you still based in the States?
6: Yeah, yeah, I was living yeah. in San Francisco.
3: So was it easier to get a visa for that role? Yeah, yes.
6: yeah, 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 yeah. It was yeah. much easier to get yeah. a visa for that role. That. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, and so... So that was my start, uh, learning on the street, as they called it. Well, uh, you yeah. have to pound the street. and uh, That is called learning by doing, which I'm a big advocate of. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it was fascinating for, for me because Pacific Edge, who I was working for at the time, were, were new. They, they had worked, the, the guys that started it were pretty high up in the big companies with Seagrams and, and right. um, Franklin, and they decided to start their own company. So it was great for me to be on the street while they're building their company, So I saw them start with brands you've never heard of. I mean, Polish vodkas that you've never heard of, tequilas you've never heard of, and to have to sell these products that no one's ever heard of. That's a tough... uh, It was a tough tough gig. It really was a tough gig. Uh, But then I saw they picked up a couple of decent brands and they found their niche and they went from strength to strength to strength. And it's made your job so much easier going in there with like a spring bank as a whiskey or these, these other brands and... Suddenly, you've got an opening. You know, did, the guys wanted. Did, want did
4: it. that wholesaler represent your your family business? They over did. There. Yeah, right? yeah.
6: Okay. But our our family business was a very it's a very niche product because it was independent bottling. So that's basically single cask bottlings. Yeah, so it's one and done. Uh, and so that we we weren't really building brands. It was kind of yep. chasing your tail to source new casks. Yes. Uh, right. And ultimately, that's what led us towards the discussion of a distillery, because we were building this independent bottling business. And historically, independent bottlers have been successful because whiskey companies can never really get their supply and demand right <laughs> because you're <laughs> dealing 10 years out. Uh, yes. Yep. And so there was always years where there have been overproduction. And so companies like ours would buy some of that exp- excess stock oh, and right. sit on it and you know, mature it, and then in 10 years say, okay, we're going to start releasing some so, of this.
4: So, Andrew, what's what's the rule? Is it three years it's got to be matured before it can be called scotch? Yes, yeah, yeah,
6: three years in barrel before it can be called sc- scotch. But the problem is, you know, even for us now, uh, we're laying down now for where we want to be in 10 years. It's unbelievable. And the chances of getting that right, <laughs> if new markets come on or markets like Russia disappear now, you know, so there's always... An ebb and flow. So really, the supply and demand never match. Right. Yeah. So there was always room for independents like us who could buy this. And but then what happened? Duck and dive. Yeah, in the and, and 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 if you had cash, there was availability, and some of the distilleries would quite like to offload some of their for cash. I'll tell you a good story about that. This <laughs> is my only
3: foray into the whiskey industry. Okay. <laughs> a number of years ago, so Alex Ferguson asked me to get involved. They, they wanted to buy a brand. They wanted to buy a brand name. And he came to see me and the presentation from the guys was, I won't mention the brand, maybe it was a famous brand. Anyway, and it was really good, really good. But when I listened to all the things that you've just said, I said to you, like, this is great. This is fantastic. It's a great investment, but it's a pension. <laughs> 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 if we're successful here, we need to put more and more in yeah. and my great, great grandkids will get a fortune. I says, but this is, this is too long for me. Yeah, so yeah. certainly, if anyone getting involved in the whiskey industry... So is Wally it's right? Sem- oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
6: yeah. <laughs> Fergie's probably made a fortune. You, you'd be loving it now if yes, you had... Yes, absolutely. Yeah, My grandkids would be yeah, loving yeah, yeah, yeah. it. Yeah, Everyone would be... Yeah. And that's... And, and, and then what started happening is, you know, new markets came on. You know, China, Taiwan, um, you know, India to an extent. Right. And suddenly these stocks that we're buying weren't available anymore. Because they weren't going there. Because well, the distilleries needed all their own stock.
4: I see, right.
6: And so what started happening year on year, even though our company was growing, replenishment was getting harder and harder and harder. So when you went to say, if you get any stock, we'd say yeah, no. sorry. Right. Uh, and so suddenly you're looking down the barrel of a gun going, okay, what's the next step here? We've built a nice little business. How do we continue this? So, were you in the business at this point, or were you still? I was. I was becoming more involved. I was still right. working for the U.S. import, but I was seeing what was happening in the U.S. market, so and I was seeing, I was seeing what was happening with Scotch. You're you were a real know, conduit. You were right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I was speaking to the you office were, and saying, "Guys, we need to, say, to. We need to start yeah. getting serious about our program here."
0: Right.
6: And the reports coming back were always hard. We can't replenish. And so that's when you start having the conversation, well, what's the next step? And the only, and it's not like a natural growth of a business where you can have incremental growth. Suddenly you have to become a distiller. And that's, that's, a, and big that's a big step, step. huge step. Uh, because not only do you have to build a distillery, but like you said, you've got to start laying down stock every year that you're not going to see any return for and 10 years.
4: I can't remember, but you'll know about new distilleries in Scotland. There, there wasn't any for a, great, a long period of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, were you one of the first to...
6: I think we were the, the, the early part of the trend. We right. were certainly the first city centre, without, which was quite unique, because we did look at other locations. So, where's your site? Uh, right between the Riverside Museum and the SEC, All so right. the, the old pump house building. Yeah. Right. Okay. And, of course, there's a family connection yeah. there, so do you want yeah. to share that with listeners? Well, my great-great-grandfather was John Morrison of Morrison and Mason Construction that actually built the Queen's Dock. Uh, and that's where we're located and, and that's they, where you are yeah right, okay. uh, and so and they also uh, the, the construction for Morrison Mason they did the gravity system from Loch Catron to wow. supply Glasgow with its Townswater water.
4: So that's Catron with a K, yes. and then Cotton, where I'm from, which is yeah. with a C. Yeah. C.
6: So Loch Catron, and that's the water we actually use to, to make that our whiskey. Wow. So a and people say
3: that's the thing that makes a difference. That's exactly. what makes yeah, yeah. scotch, which is Scotch.
6: So when you come to the distillery, there's a big picture when people start their tours of a big picture of Loch Catron to make sure people aren't thinking we're pulling the, so the water is, from the where Clyde. Is Loch so it's Loch Catron? So it's out past Bears Den area, you know. Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. Yeah. Loch Catron. But
3: from... Loch Catron itself is what an amazing story. Yeah. And we could have a programme about that and, yeah. and how it's survived and worked, you know, uh, ingenious in engineering back in the day. Yeah. Some of the finest water in the world. Is yeah, that yeah. right? I, I think oh. this, I read a few weeks ago that someone sampled five bottles of bottled water and it never came Close to the quality out, right. of right. the water from Loch Catron.
6: Yeah. yeah, it surprised me. I
3: won't name them. Right.
6: <laughs> <laughs> so you have built,
4: a, or the family business has built, a distillery.
6: Yes, so we we um, we purchased, uh, and that was kind of interesting as well. We 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 came close to a de- doing a deal outside of Glasgow, and it fell through at the last minute. And it involved a landlord, right? And it was a bit of a lesson to us that actually uh, be master of
4: your own destiny. Yes,
6: uh, and so when we were looking at sites, uh, we 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 decided we wanted to do something in Glasgow. We've got great family uh, history in Glasgow. It's where I grew up, um, and like I say, Morrison and Mason my dad, my grandfather. And so whiskey was always viewed as, you know, the highlands and the glens. And we thought this is quite a unique chance to do something quite unique in Glasgow, tie it into whiskey tourism. Uh, And so we found the Pump House building, which was built in 1877, and that actually controlled the swing bridge for access to the Queen's Dock. Uh, So, you know, tobacco, rum, sugar, all these great exports... So the site itself is a wonderful story for whisky,
4: uh-huh.
6: uh, but it was in disrepair. I mean, the the roof was not great, and uh, so when we spoke to Peel Ports, who owned the land, okay. uh, we, we had a meeting at the, the Clyde Navigation Building, and you know, we started off in the side room. And then the next time we met, we were in the boardroom. So I think we were making progress with, with the <laughs> like discussions. Tom Allison there giving you cigars and whiskey. <laughs> Not always the easiest people to deal with, yes. no, no. But, but to be fair, they were fantastic with us. Right, and, great. and I think they were a bit uh, worried at first. And then when we laid out the plans of what we wanted to do, they were very open-minded. And, and they've been great to us uh, through the duration of the partnership. And it's just lovely to see what's going on in, on the riverside there with the SEC. And so,
4: Andrew, when did you make the decision, right,
6: it's time to come home? <laughs> uh, so that was, my wife is American. I have two young, I have twin daughters. There are seven. How did that go down? <laughs>
3: she, <laughs> you know...
6: She's California? Been, yeah, yeah. The she,
3: weather must really excite her here. Yeah, <laughs> so
6: she uh, she was fantastic. I mean, that she saw me. I was flying back to Scotland every five weeks for two weeks right and it takes us toll it takes a toll on me it takes a toll on his family and so i said look we can all be together if we move back and she was like let's do it this and so to have that support and and uh and she's loved it she's absolutely loved being here and you know when she when she first moved back living in the states her favorite season as they call it was fall and I said, you're going to hate that in Scotland because that's, <laughs> I, 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 that means winter's coming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure enough, now our favourite season's spring. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Andrew, what can we learn from the drinks industry abroad and what can they learn from us?
6: I mean, that's a great question. I think um, what I took from my time in California is growing up in Glasgow and going out and drinking with my friends. For me... Tequila just gives me the shivers thinking about it, the, 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 <laughs> the kind of tequila I used to drink. Yeah. Uh, but living in California, I was exposed to aged tequila, you know, barrel-aged tequila. And and that became my drink of choice over there oh, because really? the cli- it suits the climate. And uh, I, I think the perceptions changed so quickly for me when I, I started opening my horizons to it. And recently seeing the boom of tequila in the US uh, I mean I'm not sure if you're familiar with the George Clooney sale I mean mm-hmm. he didn't even I think they contract bottled they did yes. yeah. Yeah. yeah and to see a return and now the same thing's happening with The Rock yeah. uh, I believe he's oh, about 600,000 cases a year of one of my friends yeah. come up
4: with Patron oh yeah which yeah. was sold for about 5 billion yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. But
3: the Clooney story with the tequila, I think he's got something like 900 million that he got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah? Absolutely.
6: Um, Nice touch. (laughs) It it is. So I think to see how some of these uh, so-called niche products can take off, uh, because when I was in the States, you know, Grey Goose was taking off uh, unbelievably. uh, Yeah. And now white spirits have died down a little bit, and brown spirits are really strong—bourbons, whiskey, the rums, rum, (laughs) rum as well. And and I think we might be seeing it a wee bit here with the gin craze. Yes, Mm -hmm. the last few years have have been really strong, and is that starting to taper down? So
4: what are you going to make at at your distillery on the Clyde?
6: So we're strictly single malt whiskey. Right. We didn't, I mean, it was quite tempting at the start to go down the gin to try and get some cash flow into the business. But we decided, we said, look, what's our core competence? What do we know how to sell? And it's single malt whiskey. That's what, you know, four generations in the industry. So you've
4: you've got to lay it down for three years to start with? At least, yeah, yeah, yeah. At least, yeah, before you can sell it. Before you can sell it, that, that's some business, well.
6: Well, especially because part of the model was we've got we're doing this in Glasgow. We're going to get some tourism through, and right. that's going to help with the cash. And in our first year, uh, we we got about thirty five thousand visitors well, uh, wow. to the distillery. Wow. About okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. about twenty thousand yeah, right. of that was paid. In our second year, we got. We almost doubled. We got close to 70,000 visitors with about 45,000 paid uh, tours. And then our third year, zero.
4: Covid, (laughs) COVID. And
6: so that was a really interesting time in the business because that's where I had to kind of look in the mirror and say, well, how strongly do you believe in what we're doing? Because our cash flow is gone, but do we still keep making whiskey? And uh, yeah, we've been bullish and we actually increased production uh, throughout covid uh, with challenges, we had to go to single-man operations so that there was no overlap with operatives. So and when, you, when you talk about volume sold, do you talk in barrels or do you talk in cases? I, well, I talk, so uh, I would love one day to be talking in cases just getting started <laughs> uh, so because our product's past three years. So yeah. this is our first year with product in the market. Yeah. Uh, so, but the big guys, how do
3: they measure it? Is it they'll do cases, cases, cases.
6: cases. Uh, yeah. Where where I look at things is our production volume. So yes. we're relatively small in yeah. production. Our capacity will probably be about 600, 650,000 liters. Yeah. Some of the big guys are, you know, five, six, seven million liters yeah. a year. Uh, so, and what is your capacity? at? Right now we're running just under half a million liters a year. So our first year we're about two seventy, then about three fifty. So we've got you know we've moved quite quickly in a short period of time. Andrew, what's the brand name? The Clyde Side. Uh, well, the distilleries, the Clyde Side. The brand is cross Right on cross Road, where the yes, distillery yes. is. I know is, exactly is, where
3: is, you are. Yeah, I used to own the restaurant in front where the, when the tall ship used to be there. Oh, right, okay. The, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pier 17, yeah. Yeah, with the helicopter.
6: Pack, uh-huh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah,
3: and I had the same problem as you had with the other guys. With the landlord, I wanted to buy it and he wouldn't sell it to me. Oh, is that right? <laughs> okay, yeah. So,
6: yeah. Uh, so, Andrew, what can we do better to help the Scottish whiskey industry? Um, I think um I've been very lucky. I think, you know, Scottish Enterprise have been quite helpful to us as far as, you know, like I said, cash flow has been really tight for me and I have to make tough decisions on certain projects I would love to do, but I just can't quite justify them. And I can have those conversations with Scottish Enterprise and they're like, oh, maybe we can do some co-funding cause, cause, towards that. And I like the the, the way it's laid out because I have to kind of justify the project to them, whereas marketing or I need to spend some money on uh, design because these things are so key to getting a brand in market, yeah. but it's hard for me to really justify at this stage that spend. But we've had good conversations with uh, Scottish Enterprise about supporting us and, and helping us on there. I think the the biggest help I've had is within the industry itself. It it doesn't feel like competition at all. Right? I feel like Interesting. Uh, the door is always open uh, to people within the industry. And I f- I think that's one of the things that I've benefited from that I can go and speak to so-called competitors and they'll happily share trade secrets and what? advice and we're very fortunate to work in an industry like that and likewise from a distilling point of view if a pump goes down or something or a distiller can phone another distiller and they'll do swaps and so there's, there's, there's great cooperation within the, within the industry. And that's, so it's the collective
3: against the world, isn't
6: it? I, I think there yeah. really is. I think there's yeah. enough room for everyone. Yeah. And I think
3: that's the approach. Is the States still your biggest market?
6: Uh, it's definitely up there. China's growing. Yeah. Uh, um, Germany's a big market for us. And then, of course, the big carrot that everyone talks about is India. Um, And if the trade deal happens because tariffs it
4: hopefully happening right now
6: isn't it you'd think that I think that would be the exciting thing because uh, you know tariffs at 150% is is prohibitive but that, but that's the one that I think is people talk about but there's a lot of barriers to overcome Brilliant.
1: finally Andrew as a business leader having worked in the States and here what's the best piece of advice you've ever had um, or indeed the best piece of advice you want to share
6: <laughs> you know I I, I think the, one of the things I learned, for, for, I, I had two very particular managers when I worked at Williams-Sonoma, and both were great, but one was very, very micromanagement style, and one was very find-your-own-way, and I quickly learned that I favored the find-your-own-way right. approach. Yeah. Uh, and I feel as long as they don't come down on you too hard if mistakes are made... I, I really enjoyed that approach. The micromanagement I, f- I found quite difficult. I found it quite stifling at times. And I try and, you know, take that approach with our team at the distillery is we've got to make our own way here. We're okay to make mistakes. Just try, try not to make the same one twice. <laughs> <laughs> is, is, uh, That's good advice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah,
4: well, it's been it's been great to hear the story and um, Brilliant. B- best of luck to you. And um, Willie and I will be down. Yeah, we'll pop yeah, down. And, nice um, to have yeah. you, yeah. Do the, do the tour it sounds amazing Absolutely. tour or they do you host dinners there as yeah well, we do quite, like we've so. had
6: quite a few corporate okay. evenings yeah. And, mm. and, and yeah dinners and uh, yeah it's, it's great to see this Easter uh, weekend with the, the people back and the open top bus brilliant. coming around because we're one of the stops so it's, it's lovely to see people back on the site brilliant good Welcome. luck thank, thank you for coming on, on. Thank, thank you Andrew. very much good luck
1: thank you Andrew after the break we go into the boardroom where Tom and Willie answer your questions and offer free business advice if you want to take part, simply email your questions to gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk. The Go Radio
2: Business Show with workflow solutions. Helping your business with IT support, data security and more. Go
0: Radio. There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitisation, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs, saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk the Go Radio
2: Business Show with Hunter and Hockey.
1: Welcome back as we go into the boardroom with Hunter and Hockey and answer your calls with free business advice, insight and inspiration. If you want your questions read out in the show or wish to speak directly to Tom and Willie, you can email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk. And we're going to our phone lines now and it's Hayley Hatherall who's got a question for Tom and Willie. Welcome to the show, Haley. Thank you. Morning, Happy to be here. Morning, <laughs> well, Tell us a wee bit about your business first.
2: So um, I work as the director for, we believe, the UK's first not-for-profit marketing and communications agency. So we work with big brands, big companies, and all of our profit goes to charity. And our chosen charity partner this year is the Glasgow Children's Hospital,
1: Wow! wow that's great. That's that's amazing, Haley. All right. Well, I'm sure you've got an interesting question for Tom and Willie. Go ahead.
2: So my question is: as a business, we want to make sure that we're doing our due diligence, that our um, business leads are aligned with our sort of ethical practices. So my question is: how how deeply do we need to dive to make sure that we're we're aligning ourselves with the correct kind of companies and
3: well, that's a, that's a tough one. I'll come to Willie. Yeah, well, I think if that's at the heart of everything you do, then you have to stick to those principles. And unfortunately, you need to spend a bit, of, good bit of time, you know, checking out everyone before you get involved with any companies at all. And I'll say that you'll find that there'll be some that you'll end up doing work for and there's some that you won't, right? But I would say to you that if your culture is, all, is so stringent, you might find that you will limit the amount of people that you can work for. Mm-hmm. Tom,
4: Tom? Um, Haley, I'm intrigued by your um, business model. What was the inspiration for for starting this business in this way?
2: Uh, so, my business partner and I, um, we we basically wanted to not be sort of beholden within the the stringent, I guess. Fences of uh, B Corp and being able to be a charity, it meant that we could pick and choose who we wanted to give our profits to. So, the idea is this year we're giving it to um, the Glasgow Children's Hospital, and next year at our AGM, we'll be choosing a new charity partner. And it meant that um, the more money that we raise, we can just give it away to people that are able to make a better decision on what to do with the money. So working with big brands meant that we could make as much profit as possible. So that was the kind of reasoning behind it.
4: Wow. I mean, it's it's a really inspirational idea. So good luck. I mean, I I agree with Willie here. If you're setting out as an ethical company, you've got to live and breathe by by these rules. And sometimes it will come down to an ethical decision and you've got to be on the right side of it or else your business doesn't have any credibility. But I think you know that
3: anyway, don't you? Yes. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, I know you're a brand new business. Well, good luck. Good luck. And come on and let us know how you're getting on. And,
4: and, oh, and, and, and Haley, if, if any big brands are listening this morning, how would they get in touch with you?
2: They can just um, send me an email to hello at uk, or they can visit our website, which is dotanddell.co.uk. Nicely done. We'd love to hear from them. Nicely
3: done. Brilliant.
4: (laughs) And um, yeah, keep in touch. I would love to know how you got on.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. Love to come back. Great.
1: All right.
2: All Fantastic. the best. Ta-ta. Best
1: Cheers. of luck, Hayley. Unfortunately, that's all we've got time for. But don't forget, you can put your business questions to Tom and Willie by emailing Business at thisisgo.co.uk. And you can give us feedback or get involved by visiting thisisgo.co.uk. And if you ever miss an episode, simply search for The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey wherever you get your podcasts.
3: The
2: Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions. A true managed service provider helping your business run effectively.